morning, church family. You guys can grab a seat. I want to say welcome to all of you who are here in the house with us, as well as to our online church family. As Jonathan said earlier, I know many of you guys are probably on a raft somewhere, on a lake, or at the beach. Hope it rains all day where you are. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Hope it's a lovely day and you get to celebrate. Uh, happy Fourth of July. I don't know about you guys, but I am so grateful for the freedom that we have in our country. We can gather like we are right now with no fear of the government kicking these doors down and dragging us out of here and arresting us. But I will say we have millions and millions of brothers and sisters around the world that today are meeting in secret, they're meeting in the woods, they're meeting in the middle of the night because they do not have the freedom that we have. And so just so grateful that we're able to do this in this nation of ours. Um, if you happen to be new, my name is Chris, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you've been around a little bit, uh, you, you probably know or you may know that one of our core values here is fearless mission. And so uh, what, what that means is we believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just an American gospel, right? God is not just an American God. He's, a, he's the God of the world. He's the God of the nations. And so that's a passion of ours is to see the nations come to know Jesus. And so one of the things that we do relentlessly is we support not only regional ministries and missionaries, but global ministries and missionaries. And so we're really privileged today to have uh, one of my old friends from seminary, Adam Winters with us. I'm gonna ask Adam to go ahead and head on up. Adam and I went to seminary together. We went to the same church and seminary. Uh, we served in the same country. Actually, he's still serving there. And uh, they, I think they deployed the year before us, and so Adam's much, much older than I am. But I, I, want, I, want, you, I want you guys to hear just a little bit about uh, what God is doing in that area of the world and how some of your giving and your generosity is affecting the nations for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Adam, you share with yeah, us, man. Thanks, brother. Well, salamat pagi, apakabar. Hey, good morning, how are you? So yeah, my family and I, we've been serving in Indonesia for the last uh, 16 years. My oldest two kids were born there. They're here with me today as well. And so just like Chris said, yeah, we've met them many years ago. This is my family on the screen behind me, my oldest, Kenan our daughter Kyra and our son Kendrick and my wife Rebecca there. So we do have the privilege of serving uh, overseas in Indonesia, about 17,000 islands, 4,500 of those are inhabited there in Indonesia. And you can go to the third slide there. Uh, you may not know that Indonesia is the largest Muslim country in the world. There's actually more Muslims there than all the Middle East combined, about 220, 230 million Muslims there. This is a picture of the third largest mosque in the world, which is in the capital city of Indonesia, Jakarta and it holds about 200,000 people, just kind of a representation of the deep roots, roots of Islam there in that country. And go to the next slide. And so one of the privileges we have after serving about 12 or 13 years in Jakarta on the island of Java that you see there where we lived uh, and still do, and Chris and Cheryl actually lived there as well. Uh, about two years ago, we moved 500 miles to the east to that city of Malang. Now Jakarta is the second largest metroplex in the world, about 35 million people. And so when we moved to Malang, a little country town of just a million people and only two Baptist churches there, it's where we now call home, been there about two years where we're serving that whole eastern part of the island. It's about 98% Muslim and about 40 million people live in that area. And go to the next slide. And so one of the things that, that's pretty neat about that island we live on of Java, it's actually about the same size as North Carolina, square miles wise. And I'm not sure about the population here, but it's what, seven, eight million maybe? Well, there's about 145 million people 
on that island. So it's the most populous island in the world, which is very strategic because we get to meet a lot of people and, and share a lot of the gospel. And, but another thing that's neat about Java is there's 45 active volcanoes on that one island. And this is actually a picture of one that's near our house. It's the tallest on the island at about 12,000 feet. Hiked it a few years ago. It's pretty neat. Uh, also, all the rice fields. Now, in Indonesia, they have a phrase that they love to say. It means if I haven't eaten rice yet, I haven't eaten. They literally eat more rice than any country in the world, and they eat it three, four, five times a day. And I can't even name all the rice dishes they actually have, and there's four or five different colors of rice, and it goes on and on. Uh, but that's kind of a neat thing about Indonesia. You can go to the next slide. And so one of the, the privileges we have actually in Malang, I mentioned there's two Baptist churches there with a population of a million. We are a member of an above-ground church that it's not this big, but very similar. It's, it's not underground. We don't have to, to hide our faith. And, and in the largest Muslim country in the world, you can be a believer and you can go to church. But this is actually a picture of a small house church about two and a half hours from where we live. Um, they, they don't really have to meet in private, but in a lot of the small towns and a lot of the villages, there are no churches. And so oftentimes they are doing more of a house church model, if you will. Go to the next slide. And so one of the neat things that we're able to do is go and encourage them and, and to pastor them. But I just kind of want to take us to, to a small village. It's not where that house church is that you just saw a picture of, but it's in a little village way out from there. They've only had electricity for a few years. There's no cell phone reception. And so imagine, if you will, with me that we're in a house just like this. Tile roof, cement wall, dirt floor. And we're there to visit a man and his family. And intentionally, we want to go and share with him. So it's evening. The sun's already set. And, and a lot like in America, where in the summertime it's muggy and humid in the evenings a lot of times. Well, Indonesia's in the tropics. So the equator goes right through the country. And so oftentimes it's humid and muggy. And so we, we enter this house. There's no fan. There's no moving air. It's really steamy. You know, sweat's building up on your brow. We sit down on a sofa. Uh, there to the right in that picture, it's kind of hard to see, but that's a, an outdoor kitchen where they cook over a wood-burning stove. And so that smoke's kind of hanging in the air inside the home. Actually, the man of the house, his brother's on the porch smoking. So that smell's kind of coming in. There's a single light hanging from a, a cord in the ceiling, really dim light, so the shadows are quite thick uh, in the home there. But, but one thing stands out more than anything. It's this three-foot-long stuffed lizard hanging on the wall. And I'd never seen this before. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I doubt many of you have a stuffed lizard hanging on your wall at home. Uh, but it's hanging there. The man we're talking with, his name's Pox Three or Mr. Three. And so Pox Three's got this huge amulet hanging around his neck, a very large stone ring on. We're in the home of a witch doctor. And he makes his living by casting spells and giving fortunes and things like that. But this night's going to be different. Because although in the past he's heard the gospel, this night, about two years ago now, he's going to come to faith. Now, he doesn't understand all the things that that's going to entail for him and that he's going to give up his witchcraft and become a disciple and uh, go through some persecution. You can go to the next slide. But he gets baptized, actually, a few weeks later. And this is, this is him being baptized by some of our national partners. But this story just kind of represents the power of the gospel, right? And we've already talked about it and sung about it this morning, but... We know from Romans 1.16 that the gospel is the power unto salvation. There's, there's no other power that leads to salvation. And even a witch doctor, even people in our lives that we may think, wow, they're just too far gone. 
Well, that's not true because the power of the gospel and God's grace can bring anybody to faith in Christ. And so that, that's just kind of a, a story to, to represent that. But, you know, guys, thank you for just allowing us to speak today, Chris. And uh, we'll be hanging around afterwards as well. We'd love to chat with you guys, talk for hours and hours about Indonesia and all the cool stories that, that God has done there. You can go to the last slide. But one thing we covet more than anything is your prayers. And Chris alluded to that as well, how you guys not only financially support missions, but you pray for missions. And, you know, we would love to have your prayers. We would love to have you kind of follow us on social media as we just share stories and share what God's doing in our family and in the team that we serve uh, among there and our national partners and the church that we're a part of. And so thank you again, and God bless. Give him a hand. Yeah. It's always so encouraging, right, because sometimes we, we give our offerings or we sacrifice for the, the Send Missions offering, and you're kind of like, man, I wonder where, where, where that's going. And so that is a tangible example of the work that God is doing, not only through this congregation, this body of believers, but bodies of believers all over the country, impacting the world for, for the sake of Jesus. So just really grateful to, to hear that. And, and uh, as Adam said, uh, please be in prayer for them as they uh, continue to minister in that area of the world. Now, if you happen to be new here, we are, uh, we are in a message series in the book of James called Faith in Motion. This is a little letter penned by the little brother of Jesus. And, and really what James is doing through the entirety of this letter is he's trying to teach us how to be doers of the word rather than just hearers of the word, right? And so last week, uh, James wanted us to know, he taught us, that authentic faith in Jesus always leads to real fruit in our lives. And so the whole idea is, man, following Jesus is not simply giving lip service to Jesus and saying, hey, I'm a follower of Christ or I'm a Christian. It's not even just an intellectual belief in the gospel that never impacts your life. Your faith in Jesus, according to his little brother James, should bleed into every single area of your life, right? It should impact the way that you interact with your spouse. It should impact how gentle you are with your children. If you're young and still at home, it should impact how respectful you are with your parents. It should impact how you engage with your classmates at school, with your roommate at college, with your uh, colleagues at work, with your neighbors in your neighborhood. Like it should bleed out into every single area of our lives. And far too many Christians in our day, and perhaps in James' day, because this is perhaps the reason that he's writing this letter, tend to compartmentalize our faith to an hour on Sunday morning. And James is saying, no, 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 no. You guys have missed it. You've missed the whole thing, right? If this is just something that you compartmentalize over here and then you go live the rest of your life, you've missed the whole message of the gospel. Like this should impact and influence every single area of your life. And today, James is gonna kind of flesh out this whole idea of faith in motion by talking about the power of words, the power of words. Now, I don't know how many of you, if you're young, if, if teachers and, and parents still say this, but when I, when I was young, I would hear sayings like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, which is like the biggest lie ever perpetrated in human history, of course, words hurt, man. They, they can destroy, right? Words uh, obliterate marriages. Words can cripple children emotionally for the rest of their lives. Words can divide churches. They can drive nations into wars. 
Some of you, even now, whether you're watching online or whether you're here in the room, I guarantee you there are some of you right now and you still remember words that were spoken to you years ago, perhaps decades ago, that were hurtful to you from a parent, maybe a classmate, right? And those words are still like all these years later, like an arrow that's just lodged deep within your soul. And it doesn't matter how much you try to forget it. Man, you just can't, you just can't get that wound. It's just kind of hanging over you. You remember that. So they can be incredibly powerful for, for evil, but words can also be good, right? They can bring life and encouragement and healing and hope. The truth of the matter is that our lives, the course of our lives in many ways is shaped by words. Think about the things that you've heard throughout the course of your life, maybe from a parent. I believe in you. I believe in you, son. I believe in you, daughter. I, I know you can do it. Will you marry me? How about those words? Right? Does it change your life? No, I will not. That will change your life as well, right? <laughs> I'm pregnant. You have cancer. The cancer is gone. I love you. Right? Our, our, our lives are, are shaped and influenced in so many ways. They're lifted up or they're torn down by words. And so here's the, the big idea of the entire message. I'll put this up on the screens for you. It's this. James is saying to us, I think that words are the most powerful weapon on planet Earth. Words are the most powerful weapon on planet Earth. You say, Chris, man, isn't that an overstatement? Why are you being so dramatic on a holiday, preacher boy? Well, am I, am I really overstating it? Right, think about the biblical uh, narrative, right? You go all the way back to Genesis, the very first book in the Bible. It says that God created the universe. He created this world. Everything it is through his what? Through his words. Let there be light, and there was Light, you skip over two chapters, Genesis chapter three, the fall in the garden, right? What happened? Satan deceived Eve with his what? With his words. Listen, our, our life, in so many ways, it rises and it falls based on words that are said to us and words that we say to other people around us. In fact, James, this is so important, James hits on this, the power of words, taming the tongue, every single chapter in his book, all five chapters, this is, this is incredibly important because he keeps coming back to it, right? He's hammering this home. And he wants us to see that words matter because words are incredibly powerful, either for good or for evil. And I think if James were here with us this morning, if James was standing here, right here on this stage, I think one question he might ask us is, how does knowing Jesus affect the words that come out of your mouth? How does knowing Jesus affect the words that come out of your mouth? Or does it have any effect on the words that come out of your mouth? And that's what we're gonna be tackling together this morning. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and go to James chapter three. James chapter three. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. We'll have it on the screens for you. We'll be working through the first 12 verses or so. And we're gonna start in verse one. This is what James, a little brother of Jesus, writes. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that, that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So I just gotta confess to you this week as I'm studying right out of the gate, verse one, I'm uncomfortable, right? I'm squirming in my chair a little bit. And I'm just gonna be honest with you, it got worse as I went on through the chapter, right? Um, as I told you last week, James is, when you study James, it's kinda like jumping into a boxing ring with Mike Tyson or jumping into the octagon with Conor McGregor, right? He, he's just, he's gonna work you over with no apologies. 
Um, but, it, but it's the kind of working over that's actually healthy for us. It's productive for us. It's what we need to, to grow and mature spiritually as followers of Jesus. But I gotta tell you, man, that first, that first verse right out of the gate, I was, I was squirming this week, right? James just comes out uh, swinging. Not many of you, he says, should become teachers because you will be judged with greater strictness. Now, James appears to be addressing guys who do what I do, pastors who stand up in the assembly and the church gathered to proclaim the word of God, and that's why it made me squirm. But I think the reality is this certainly could apply to any of us who teach spiritual truth in any way. Right, so if you're a small group leader, adults, youth, whatever, uh, if you're a Bible study teacher, if you volunteer in preschool ministry here, uh, youth ministry, elementary school ministry, hey, parents, how about you when you're uh, opening the word of God and teaching your children at home around uh, the dinner table or at bed when you're tucking them in. I hope that you're doing that. But I think this truth applies to all of us. It's, it's very, very important. And James is saying here, man, they're, they're just, they're, there's ought to, there ought to be this, this weightiness to our words, especially when we're teaching God's word, because our words are incredibly powerful, especially when we're using our words to shape people's understanding of who God is or what it means to love and follow Jesus, man, we should do that with a level of care and trepidation and awe. Like, man, I, I am literally holding the living words of God in my hand and I'm, and I'm teaching these kids or I'm teaching my friends in my home and my small group. Like, that is a weighty matter and James is saying God is gonna hold us accountable for that. And I'm afraid there are far too many pastors out there. I'm afraid there are far too many leaders, perhaps even parents in homes, who treat it casually. Like it doesn't really matter all that much. And what James is saying is it does matter, and it matters a lot. It matters a lot. Uh, D Daniel Aiken, uh, the president of the uh, seminary that, that I went to, uh, one of the most uh, godly, gentle men I've ever met, um, in his commentary on this, this is what he writes. This will be on the screens for you. He says this, it is a weighty assignment to be called by God to teach his word, whether it be a public ministry behind a pulpit to thousands or one that is private in a family room to your children. The stakes are high. Eternity looks over one shoulder and the Lord Jesus over the other. It is a great honor to teach the word. It is in one sense an unbearable mission for which no person is sufficient. John Piper, pastor up in Minneapolis, uh, says it like this. He says, all genuine preaching, I would also include teaching, is rooted, or at least it ought to be, in a feeling of desperation. You wake up on Sunday morning and you can smell the smoke of hell on one side and feel the crisp breeze of heaven on the other. You go to your study and you look down at your pitiful manuscript and you kneel down and cry, God, this is so weak, and I do that every Sunday. Why, who do I think I am? What audacity to think that in three hours my words will be the odor of death to death and the fragrance of life to life. God, who is sufficient for these things? And James is saying, man, our, our words are always powerful, but they carry a specific weightiness when we use our words to convey truths about God to other people. Now, he's saying do it. He's, saying don't, he's not saying don't do it. Don't ever teach your kids about God. Don't ever, don't ever teach people in small groups. We ought to do it, but he's saying, be careful because words have consequences. And then in verse two, James says, if a person can tame their tongue, man, you got it made, 
right? Every, everything else in life will be a breeze compared to taming that little wild beast in your mouth, right? Everything else, whether it's being disciplined with your eating habits or your exercise habits or getting up early enough in the morning to spend time with the Lord before you go to work, like all of these things are nothing compared to how difficult it is to tame that little tongue in our mouths. You master that, everything else will be easy by comparison. And now what James is gonna begin doing in verse three is he's gonna begin to paint some pictures for us so that we understand the truth that he's talking about. Look at verse three. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member and yet it boasts of great things. So James is gonna give us two images here. First he says, think about a horse. Right? Now, I don't know if you like riding horses or you don't like riding horses, but you have to admit, man, these are majestic creatures, right? 1,200 pounds, 1,500 pounds of pure muscle, incredibly fast, unbelievably strong, and yet somehow elegant as well. And James is saying, think about it, just a, a small little piece of metal, two or three inches, a bit that's attached to the reins, can control the direction of that entire huge beast of an animal, Right? Now, I don't know if you guys remember this. I don't know if it's still a thing, but back when I was young and Cheryl and I were dating, um, a, a, a common advertisement that we would see um, on, on TV for like resorts and vacations would be uh, these romantic pictures of horseback riding, right? You guys remember those? We got some of those there, right? So that, that's kind of how I always, there's me and Cheryl right there. <laughs> that's kind of how, I, in my mind, I'd never ridden a horse, so that, that kind of, in my mind, that's what it was like. It was just gonna be this awesome romantic thing. And so being the romantic guy that I am, I decided when Cheryl and I were engaged that I was gonna surprise her for her birthday and take her horseback riding. And so I called and I got some, some tickets to this place. I can never remember, if, is it Burnsville, Barnardsville, one of these places in Western North Carolina. They had horses. And so we go out there. And I'm like, man, I'm gonna score some major points. This is gonna be so romantic. She's probably gonna wanna kiss me as we ride. Um, like these pictures, it's gonna be incredible. And, uh, and that just wasn't the reality of what went down. Um, so we, <laughs> there was this one lady who was like the leader and all the other horses were behind. We didn't have reins or bits or anything. They just put us on this saddle with this big thing jutting up that we had to hold on to for dear life. We're just kind of rocking on this thing, right? And trying to, trying to stand up a little bit because your butt's getting sore after you know, five minutes. You're like, man, this is not at all what I pictured in my mind. Um, but, but here's one thing about horses that I didn't realize, maybe you already realized this, but they, they spook really easily. Did you know that? They're scared of everything. Like if there's any movement off to the side, they just automatically assume it's a snake, run for your life. That's kind of a horse's mindset, mentality. And so we're riding, Cheryl is in front of me and her horse sees something in the woods and it starts to buck. And Cheryl, you guys, if you know my wife, she's like 100 pounds soaking wet with tennis shoes on. And so that horse bucks and she's like 30 feet in the air, the next thing I know. And I'm like, so this is not romantic. And she... Uh, she crashes down head first into the ground. My horse starts to buck because it's like, oh, that horse is freaking out. Maybe I should freak out, freak out time. So he starts to buck. I don't wanna go 30 feet in the air, so I just do a duck and roll. So I just, I roll off the horse and I land there and things kind of, the dust settles and I go over. Cheryl's crumpled up. She's got a migraine now for the rest of the day. Probably has a concussion. I'm like, that is not what I was picturing in my mind. And what I discovered is, man, horses without control, without that bit, without those reins, they cause a lot of chaos and pain but rightly controlled, that beautiful horse 
can be used for many good things, right? It can be used to travel long distances. And one of my friends recently was telling me that, that horses are actually one of the best therapies for kids that have had trauma. I've never heard that before. But these mighty beasts can be used for incredibly good things if they're under the right control. So James says, man, that, that's a picture of the power of our tongues. It could be used for, for good. But then James says, hey, think about, think about a big ship in the ocean. So just imagine this big ship in the ocean, and these ships are guided by a rudder, which maybe is the smallest piece of equipment on the entire boat, but it gives it direction. It helps it end at its final destination. And James is saying, so the tongue, like that bit that guides the horse, that bit in the mouth, or like a rudder that guides a ship, so your tongue will guide your life, dear brother, dear sister. And it can be used for greatness. And so here's point number one this morning. If you're a note taker, write this down. Words have the power for great good. Did you know that? Words have the power for great good. Just like a majestic horse, right? Just like a, an amazing, beautiful ship on the ocean, words have great power if they're wielded for good. I can remember when I, I was a, a teenager, um, I just went through a really uh, dark season in my life. Um, middle school, high school, early part of college, and uh, tur turned my back on God, turned my back on the faith, broke my, broke my parents' heart, and, uh, and just lived a, a really uh, ungodly lifestyle for, for a long time. But, but I can remember that in, in my youth group, uh, th there was a lady, she was a, a volunteer in, in, in our youth group, and at the time, I thought she was ancient, you know, so I thought, in my mind, she was like 85, looking back, she was probably like 43 or something like that. But, um, but for, for whatever reason, she took a keen interest in my spiritual well-being, and I didn't know why. But she would kind of pull me aside and, and just pray for me and ask me how I was doing. And occasionally she'd call up my parents and say, hey, can I take Chris to his favorite restaurant? And she would take me to a restaurant and she began to speak life into me. She began to plant little seeds in me that I didn't even want planted at the time that would then bloom and grow roots later on in my life. And she began to say things to me like, Chris, I know you don't believe this right now, but I want you to know God loves you. God loves you. I want you to know God has plans for your life. I want you to know God is gonna use you one day. God is gonna use you in a, in a great way. And so those little seeds that she planted in my little 15-year-old mind or 16-year-old mind when I was in a sophomore in college as a 21-year-old rebel far from God, those words were what came back to me as I began to pursue Christ for really for the first time in my life. Lee Peavy, right, this 45-year-old lady just breathing life with her words into a little lost 15, 16-year-old boy. Great power for good. So let me just talk to the husbands here for a second. Husbands, are you speaking life and love and warmth into the heart of your bride on a consistent basis? Are you speaking discouraging words? critical words. Wives, let me, let me ask you, likewise, are you, are you tearing down your husband with your, with your words? Are you, are you actually building him up with the words that you say? Listen, I, I can promise you that your husband wants nothing more in this life than to be loved by you and to know that you believe in him, that you respect him, that you want, you want to follow him, that you believe in him. If you're, if you're younger, if you're a student, let me just ask you, maybe you're middle school, high school, even college, are your words building up your classmates, your friends, those around you, or are you tearing them down with your tongues or maybe your thumbs on social media? Your words, James is saying, have the power to birth greatness in the kingdom of God. 
Your words have the power to bring healing and hope and restoration. And so I think James would encourage us today, wield the power of your words for good. Speak life into the people that God places around you. But words can also be used for evil, can they not? That's what James is gonna tell us next. Look at the second part of verse five. James writes this, he says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell itself. Come on, James. Tell us what you really think about this. James compares our tongues to a a small fire, a a spark that sets an entire forest ablaze. If you remember remember back in your history books, the the Great Chicago Fire of 1871, one of the worst uh, fires in our nation's history swept through the city of Chicago, killed approximately 300 people, destroyed almost 18,000 buildings, left 100,000 people homeless to the tune of over $4 billion in damage. And get this, they believe that it was a, a small little lantern that got tipped over in a barn that started this whole devastation. And James is saying, that lantern is your tongue, friend. That's how dangerous it is, that is how potent it is, that is how powerful it is. In fact, James goes on in verse six to say, our tongues are a fire that can set ablaze the entire course of our lives and that our tongues are set on on fire by hell itself. Now that is some serious language. And what James is saying is this, our words can cause hell on earth. In fact, I would argue that some of our words are indeed the work of the devil himself. As I said earlier, I promise you, there are some of you who are watching online, there are some of you here in the house this morning, and you are carrying words today that have crippled you. Even though they were spoken years ago, decades ago, careless words by a parent, mean little sunny-nosed kid in middle school, an ex, whatever it is, man, and you have believed those lies about yourself, and you have been wounded, and you have been crippled by those words that were spoken over you. And if that's you, I just wanna say a couple things to you. The first thing I wanna say to you is I am so sorry that somebody wielded their words to damage you, to wound you, to to just hurt you in a deep, deep way. The second thing I want you to know is that Jesus wants to set you free from those shackles of those words that were spoken over you. And we don't have time to do like a deep dive into that this morning. I just wanna quickly recommend a book to you called The Broken Curse, Gaining Freedom from Hurtful Words by Dr. Tom Elliff. Um, so if that, listen, if that is something that, that man, has just been enslaving to you, your parents said something to you when you were small and an ex, a kid, something like that, and you just can't get over those words that were spoken over you, grab that book. It's like a 64-page read, really fast, fantastic stuff. I love the way uh, Proverbs puts it in Proverbs 18. It says, uh, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Isn't that something? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. James continues on the same analogy in verse seven. He says, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, if you've been to a zoo recently or a circus, maybe SeaWorld down in Florida, you have likely marveled at how a dolphin or a killer whale or a lion or a tiger could be tamed. It really is a magnificent thing to behold. 
when Cheryl and I were living, living in Southeast Asia, we had the privilege of traveling to Thailand. And when we were in Thailand, we got to go to an ele- elephant uh, sanctuary. And uh, it's amazing what they can teach these massive beasts to do. In fact, I think I've got a couple of pictures of our time there. They can actually, Cheryl's freaking out a little bit there, but they've trained these elephants. They can actually give you hugs with their trunks, right? It's pretty cool. You can actually get on these things and ride them. I think we, yeah, got a picture of us riding on this, this big thing. And then they actually took us in and showed us these elephants that could paint paintings, right? So they got these canvases kind of set up and they just go over there. The trainer will be like, hey, elephant, paint a flower. And the elephant gets this little trunk and grabs the little thing and sure enough, paints a flower better than I could, man. It was just absolutely nuts. And James is saying, man, that is a piece of cake. Training a big beast like an elephant or like Shamu or something like that, piece of cake compared to taming your tongue, so hard to do. In fact, in, in his commentary on, on James, David Platt, pastor up in D.C., uh, he put it well when speaking about the dangers of the tongue. This is what he says. He says, that's why God has given us teeth and a mouth, teeth to cage in that deadly weapon and a mouth to close it in, right? So that brings us right into the second truth I think James would give us this morning, and it's this. Number two, words not only have the power for great good in God's kingdom, words absolutely have the power to maim and destroy lives around you. Words have the power to absolutely cause chaos, destruction, pain, and death. Listen, you can absolutely crush somebody's spirit with the words that you speak to them or you can breathe life into them with your words. Even today, I I, I promise, you could come up to me after the service and you could absolutely crush me with your words if you wanted to. You could just mess up the rest of my day. I'd be thinking about it all day. I wouldn't be able to sleep tonight. And I could do the same thing to you. I could come right up to you after the service and I could say something that would just crush your spirit. Or I could say words of encouragement. I could build you up and breathe life into you. And so what are we to make of this power that James is speaking of in our words? And how come this is such a struggle for so many of us? How is it that so many of us will wound those around us that we love the most with our venomous, poisonous words of death? James gets right to the heart of it, starting in verse nine. He says this, with it, our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What James is saying here is, listen, guys, at the end of the day, this is not just a tongue issue. This is a heart issue. Just like a salt pond, right, can't produce fresh water, just like a grapevine cannot produce figs, so the person that has had their hearts transformed by Jesus shouldn't produce evil, destructive words out of their mouths. So James goes, brothers and sisters, how is it so that from the very same mouth we can praise God, we can gather on Sunday morning like this and we can sing our hearts out and we can praise God and all these things and then with the very same mouth we can walk out of here and we can curse other people that are made in the very image of God. We can slander people. We can gossip about people behind their backs and we can cut and we can wound and we can make people bleed with our words, and James is saying, how is that possible? 
He's saying, brothers and sisters, it should not be this way. This is like a a fresh spring producing salt water. Like even nature knows not to do that. See, springs are consistent. Trees, fruit trees are consistent. Grapevines are consistent. But our tongues are wildly inconsistent and it should not be that way among God's people, James is saying. This is, in fact, this is how Jesus says it in Luke chapter six. This will be on the screen where he says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. See, it's not just a word issue. It's ultimately, as Jesus is saying, it's a heart issue. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, listen, his mouth speaks. So this is the third truth. This is the final one this morning. Truth number three, friend, your words are a window into your heart. Your words are a window into your heart. And according to James, no man, no woman can tame the tongue. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. God can. The reality is all of us are guilty of sinning with our words against other people. And here's the thing. I think it could be really easy for a lot of us to walk out of here this morning really discouraged. Right, with our heads kind of hanging low, like, man, oh God, I'm such a loser. Like, why, why, why can't I get it together with my words? It'd be really easy to just walk out of here really discouraged, but I don't want you to leave here discouraged this morning. I want you to leave encouraged, and I think you can leave here encouraged, and here's why. We have a Savior in Jesus who never, ever, not even one single time, sinned with his words. And the reality is he died for those of us who slander and lie and deceive and gossip He died for those of us who wound other people with our poisonous words like all of us in this room have. And so what we have to do as followers of Jesus is come back to this gospel again and again and again. And we have to gospel ourselves. We have to gospel each other with truths like the ones found in 1 Peter 3. This will be on the screens for you. This is what Peter writes. He says, he, Jesus, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. And so as sinful people, as we all are, with inconsistent tongues as we all have, We cling to the perfect one who never sinned with his words, right? And it's by his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his amazing resurrection that we can be healed at the heart level, right? And begin to live out this new reality that James is talking about where we can breathe life into those around us with our words. Now, it's important for me that you understand this as you leave. We talked about this a little bit last week but we cannot clean ourselves up by trying harder. And so if your takeaway from this today is I'm just gonna go out there and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be more disciplined with my words. I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna bite my tongue more and I'm gonna be more disciplined. I'm just gonna kind of white knuckle this thing and I'm just not gonna do it. I'm just, I'm just gonna tell you eventually at some point this week you're gonna be depressed and you're gonna be disappointed because you're gonna stumble and you're gonna fall. You cannot live this out this new kingdom ethic that James is talking about in your own strength. That's why we all need Jesus, right? Because he cleans us at the heart level. And so if you're out there and you're thinking, man, Chris, I, I, really, I really wanna stop wounding people with my words, I would say, good, that's a good instinct to have. 
If you're out there and you say, man, I really wanna start speaking life into people with my words, I would say, good, that's a great instinct to have. But you're not gonna accomplish that by just trying harder and trying to will yourself to be that kind of person. Here's how you do it. You get around the perfect one. You get around Jesus Christ. You spend time with him. You camp out in his word daily. You spend time connecting to him as your life source through prayer. You get in community with other believers so you can actually flesh this stuff out so they can hold you accountable and pray for you and you can hold them accountable in love and you can pray for them. Let me just say, if you're out there and you would honestly hear this message and you just kind of say, man, I, I don't care. And I know there's some of you who are there. You're just like, man, I, I don't care. I don't care that I shred people with my words. In fact, man, they, they probably deserve it. Every time I've wounded somebody, it's because they wounded me and they deserved it. They got what was coming. And this isn't a convict, conviction point for you and you're like, you just don't really care. This is, not, this is not stirring your heart. This is not stirring your emotions in any kind of way. You have no desire to change your words. I just, I think that if James were here, he would say to you, friend, that is an indication that you have a dead faith. You have the kind of faith that will not save you on that last day. It's like he said last week, it does not matter if you profess Jesus with your lips. It does not matter if you believe in your mind intellectually. Last week, James says, even the demons believe and they tremble. So if that's where your heart is, I think James would, in love, say to you, hey, friend, I think your faith is dead. You don't have a saving faith. If you're, not, if you're not wrestling with this, if you're not fighting against your flesh, if you don't have a desire for your words to breathe life into people and not to wound and maim and kill people, let me just say, maybe, is, maybe today is the day that you would consider giving your life to Jesus for the first time. You say, Chris, I, man, I, I grew up in church. Man, I, I know all the, I, I, know, I know more about James than you do, clearly. I, I know all the right answers. Like, I grew up in a Christian, I don't care about any of that. If you've never met Jesus, if you've never had a, an encounter with the risen Jesus Christ that actually transforms your life and he gives you a new desire to follow him and obey him with your words and your life and your actions, let me just encourage you, maybe today is the day that you just cry out and say, God, I give you my life. I've given you portions of my life, but today I just wanna wave the white flag of surrender and I wanna give you 100% of my life, Jesus. My life, my actions, my thoughts, my words, I want them all to belong to you. Friend, listen, you don't need a tongue doctor, you need a heart doctor. And his name is Jesus. He's the one that can change your heart and change your life. And I don't know, maybe for others of you, you're here and you do have an authentic faith, a vibrant faith, a living faith, an active faith like James talks about. But maybe you're like me today. Maybe, maybe you need to repent of some wounds that you've inflicted on other people through your words. And I'd be willing to guess that there are some of you, maybe many of you here, that today, before you go and grill out any hamburgers, before you watch any fireworks tonight, man, you need to get alone with your spouse. You need to pull one of your kids aside. You need to pull your mom and dad aside. You need to pick up that phone and call that friend that you haven't talked to in three years or four years. And you need to say, listen, I am, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. Because I know that I spoke words over you and into your heart and your soul that wounded you. 
And I'm convicted by the Spirit of God through the Word of God that these things should not be so. I shouldn't have an inconsistent tongue that's not consistent with a changed heart. And so I'm just begging you, would you please forgive me? Would you please, would you please forgive me? And that's a takeaway a lot of you guys need to walk out of here with this morning. Maybe before you even leave the parking lot, you need to pull somebody aside and you need to make things right. If you have maimed somebody, if you've wounded somebody with your words. And friend, understand this as we close. You cannot live this out consistently on your own, in your own strength. You cannot, I cannot. But through Jesus, the power of his Holy Spirit that he gives us we can begin to more consistently live out this kingdom ethic in our lives. And so the only real question that remains this morning is, will you surrender your whole life, including your mouth, including your words, to Jesus today? Would you just pray out and say, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm sorry for giving you half of my life. I'm sorry for just giving you 80% of my life or 95% of my life. God, I, I want to give you 100%. I want to give you everything that I have, including my words today. God, would you change my heart? Would you redeem me? I want to be a follower of Christ. I want my words to breathe life into people, not to bring chaos, death, and destruction. And so friend, let's leave here clinging to Jesus with all that we have, allowing him to heal our hearts because that's what we need. We need heart healing. It's not just a mouth issue, it's a heart issue. And once he gets that, he can begin to heal our tongues and our words. And let's begin to follow him in that way for his glory, for our good. This is the good fruit that flows from an authentic faith. Let's pray and then we're gonna sing. Heavenly Father, we come to you And we're so grateful for the fact that you give us truth through your word. And we're grateful even for the hard truths, God. We're grateful for the truths that sting us a little bit as this passage did for me this week. God, we know that you speak truth to us, not because you wanna punish us or wound us. You actually speak truth to us because you love us, because you want us to walk in freedom and experience the good life. And so God, would you teach us that our words have power, they have power for good and they have power for evil. Would you remind us on a daily basis that our words are just really a window into our hearts, God. And we need you to do some heart work on us, God. So would you do that in us beginning this week? Will we be faithful to spend time with you, to get around you so that you could, by the power of your spirit, through your word, through reading the word, through prayer, through community with other believers, you could actually begin to change our lives. Would you help us to do that this week? We ask and we pray all these things in the mighty and the beautiful name of your son and our savior, Jesus. Amen. Church, let's stand and let's worship.